Each week we've seen how outpour results when water finds an edge, and voila, the beauty of waterfall. Like the stunning view at Veindefossen Waterfall in Norway. Don't you want to say that with me? Veindefossen, de Veindefossen, de Veindefossen Waterfall in Norway. Well, today Pastor Lance helps us see how waterfalls are not singular, but multiply their influence in cascading fashion from life to life to life and generation to generations. It's an amazing truth. But God envisions that each one of us can change the world through the connections we make. I'm excited for us as Pastor Lance helps us imagine the possibilities of being the outpour. Hello, Christ Journey Church. My name is Lance Brown. I am the pastor of engagement here and I've been here for just over a year, a year and three months, and so some of you may have not met me yet. I hope that's very few, I hope that's just about a handful, but just in case you haven't, I'm looking forward to meeting you pretty soon. Uh, what do I do here as pastor of engagement? It doesn't mean that I help you to put a ring on it, but I do help you uh, in your next steps on your Christ journey. Uh, so that's kind of like putting a ring on it, but it's about following Jesus Christ. It is helping us as a church to reach people who are far from God and help each and every one of us take that next best step on our Christ journey. And so that's why I'm here. And I look forward to seeing us again in the flesh in three dimensions pretty soon. We look forward to that day. And so as we think about engagement and empowerment, I want to start us off in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 14. John says this, So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. During the Big Three era of the Miami Heat, one of the promotional themes was weakness. I'm sure we can remember that time when Miami Heat was calling on Miami fans and the world to see and participate in the glory of three basketball superstar pursue championship greatness. Those of us who are Miami Heat fans can still remember those heady days uh, of, of winning and we all responded to the call to witness. The Apostle John in this verse advances the same idea as he declared, we have seen his glory. Those words drip with a visceral declaration, we are witnesses. We have witnessed the Son of God in all his glory and splendor as he lived, taught, and walked among us. John, in introducing his gospel, sets the stage by unashamedly declaring and proclaiming that Christ is Logos, the Word, who was at the beginning of time, through and by whom all things were made. And he's making it known that this book he's writing is witness to the word, the Christ, the Son of God. Throughout this gospel, John chronicles the glory of Christ. We see Jesus changing water to wine. We see his encounter with a Samaritan woman, the healing at the pool of Bethesda, the feeding of the 5,000, walking on water, healing a man who was born blind, and raising his friend Lazarus from the dead. 
Through all these accounts, John bore witness to the glory of Christ and wrote them. So Gentile hearts, your heart and my heart can read and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. When Jesus approached the end of his ministry here on earth, John 14 shares a tender moment between Jesus and his disciples. There he told them that he would be going to prepare a place for them and that one day he would return and take them to where he would be. But he said something very important in that exchange. He said this, that his disciples would do greater things than he did. Somehow that boggles the mind. Because for all the signs and wonders that Jesus performed, how could it be possible that his disciples, us, would be able to do greater things than he did? It is important to understand that the greater things Jesus spoke of had nothing to do with signs and wonders. Let me explain. Jesus said his disciples would accomplish this because they would not be left alone. But he would send an advocate. John 14, 16, and 17 put it this way. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you and now later will be in you. The word advocate in Koine Greek, which is the original language this book and much of the New Testament is written, is paraclete, which means companion, encourager, comforter, counselor, or enabler. Here Jesus is laying the groundwork that the source of the greater things will be through the paraclete, our advocate. We see this reference to paraclete again in John 15 verse 26, where it says, I will send you the advocate, the paraclete, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you also must testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Are you starting to see the picture? The greater things we will be able to do has a direct link to the witness we bear and the testimony we proclaim about Christ. Christ who created the heavens and the earth, who came and lived and walked among us as one of us, whose glory was revealed to the world in so many ways, has laid a blueprint where we, his followers today, will be equipped and empowered to do even greater work of proclaiming him to the world. After Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and just before he went to be with his father as he promised, he met with his disciples one last time. And we see this in Acts 1 verse 4 where he tells them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. You can picture it, I'm sure, where Jesus is getting ready to leave, is giving final instructions to his disciples. We can reasonably conclude that these words were important ones. So let's pay attention to them. There are two instructions here in the scriptures. Instruction number one. 
wait in Jerusalem until the promised gift comes. Yes, that same gift that we read about in John chapter 14. Instruction number two is seen in Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In these instructions, Jesus is outlining in clear terms to his disciples, and by extension us today, that we will receive power through the presence and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The word power in the original language is the root from which we get the word dynamite, meaning that this power is explosive. Put another way, Jesus is saying to his disciples that as they wait in Jerusalem, they will receive from the Holy Spirit an explosive power within them that will empower them to do great things. In the northern section of the Amazon rainforest is one of the lesser known great falls of the world. It is called Kiter Falls. It is not as popular as Niagara Falls or Victoria Falls, but in terms of size and power, it is one of the greatest falls in the world. Think of these facts for a minute. The falls are located in the country of Guyana. It is the world's largest single drop waterfall by volume of water coming over it. It is 741 feet high, which makes it four times higher than Niagara Falls and two times higher than Victoria Falls. The output from this fall is so powerful that its roar can be heard in the stillness of the Amazon rainforest for over half a mile away. So powerful is the explosion of water hitting rock that witnesses to Kyoto Falls call it breathtaking. What is the source of that power? It is the Potaro River. It runs for 140 miles. And so you see, my friends, the beauty and explosive power that we see in Kyoto Falls would not be possible without the Potaro River the source of its power, the source of its beauty, the source of its impact. Similarly, what we learn from Acts 1.8 is this, that our power as followers of Jesus Christ comes only from one source, and that is source is the person of the Holy Spirit. And his job is to equip us, empower us, and enable us to bear witness to the glory of Christ. I'm reminded of Christ's teaching in John 7, verse 38, which says, anyone who believes in me in may come and drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. All of us as believers are rivers of living water. We have a beautiful outpour into a larger river called the local church, which in turn cascades into a thunderous outpour of the Holy Spirit's power. Just as John bore witness to the glory of Christ in the gospel, so are we commanded today to be Christ's witnesses, telling all we can of what he has done. And here is the awesome news. We're not doing this alone. We're not doing this in our own strength. We are doing it through the power and might of the Holy Spirit at work within us 
And that promise that Christ made showed itself to be true. If you remember, Pastor Desi a couple weeks ago told us about 120 people gathered in a room, were filled with the Holy Spirit, imbued with his power, and as a result, an explosive outpour occurred. 120 grew into a church numbering in the tens of thousands where 3,000 people, the scriptures tell us, came to know Christ in one day. The church in Jerusalem became a church on fire, empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit in their midst. So in case you're wondering what an empowered church looks like, we should look no further than Acts 2, 42 to 47, where it says this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And here's what the scriptures say. And God added to their fellowship each day those who were being saved. An empowered church like this picture is one that is filled with the Holy Spirit, moving in his power so that his explosive work is clear for all to see. Here then are some characteristics of an empowered church that we can get from this passage. First, an empowered church is one where its people are devoted. They are devoted to the teaching of God's word. They are devoted to fellowshipping with each other and to communal prayer. It is through our devotion that the Holy Spirit has fertile ground to do his awesome, explosive work. So here is the question. How is your devotion? Are you singularly committed to leaning into God's word every time we gather together? Even when we're meeting online, that's a gathering. Like right now, are you committed to hearing from him? Do you find space in your life to fellowship with other believers in groups or, with others, or in other settings? Are you committed to a life of prayer for our church and its impact in our community? We just started a season of prayer for our church, community, and nation. We have a 40-day prayer guide developed by Pastor Bill to help lead our thoughts and prayers together as a church from September 25 through November 3rd. Let's commit to pray together during this season. Let's be devoted in this way. Second, an empowered church is one where its people are generous. We are willing to share God's blessings with those in need and for the benefit of the body of Christ. Our generosity shows up in our willingness to use whatever skills, knowledge, and abilities God has given us to advance his kingdom. Our generosity shows in our willingness to give sacrificially to his work and help others in need. Our generosity shows in how eager we are to look beyond ourselves 
and allow the Holy Spirit and his explosive work within us to impact those within our sphere of influence. Third, an empowered church is one where its people worship. We never miss an opportunity to meet together in worship just like we're doing now and in adoration of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Christ who we love. Worship in empowered churches is an energizing time filled with communal participation. It's a time of passion. It is never a time of passive and, dare I say it, critical observation. But it is a time that each one of us leans into the moment to give praise to the King of kings and Lord of lords and glorify him because he lives within our praises. I want to hear somebody say amen. If you can't say it out loud that I can hear it, you can type it in the chat right now. So go ahead and do that. Amen. Finally, an empowered church is one where its people are evangelistic. We are passionate about reaching the lost, and that passion results in God showing up, increasing us in number and impact where we serve. Evangelism leads to multiplication, and so by, ex by extension, an evangelistic church is a multiplying church. When I read Acts 2, 42 to 47, I see a church where the outpour of the Spirit's power is real and explosive. I see a church on the edge. I see a church moving forward, allowing the Holy Spirit through obedience to do His work in our midst in our lives individually first, and then collectively as a church. Christ's journey is not a church without its people. All of us have something to contribute. All of us have something to give. The Holy Spirit's work is one that finds root in each one of our hearts, and it is lived out through our collective obedience to his prompting. I put it like this. We should be a church where we are empowered people living obediently by saying yes to God, expressing that obedience within the local church so the multiplying work of the Holy Spirit creates an explosion of his outpour. Acts 2, 47 shows the result. Each day, God added to their fellowship those who are being saved. So imagine with me for a moment what Christ Journey Church would look like tomorrow or next year, or let's look even further and say 10 years from now. What would we look like if we are collectively obedient to Christ's command to be his witnesses where we are planted, yielding ourselves fully to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives? I know and believe that if this is true for our church, we will be a church where my child and your children will become the next generation impacting this city for the kingdom of God. I know that like those who started this church almost 95 years ago, we will do even greater things continuing their legacy of faith. But I need to pause for a moment because the book of Acts gives us a big caution light that is flashing to which we need to pay attention. The church in Jerusalem exploded, but their work was not yet done. You see, Christ didn't say to them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and that was it. 
<laughs> no, the command was, you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world, going beyond Jerusalem. Yes, the church exploded in Jerusalem, and great things were happening there, but the work was incomplete. And for whatever reason, we didn't see a voluntary movement to attend to the rest of Christ's command in that church. And so here is the caution. We should never become comfortable in our present success while ignoring the rest of the job to be done. I believe that's what happened to the church in Jerusalem. And God had to provide a catalyst for them to get them to move in obedience to the original charge he gave. Turn over to Acts 8 verse 1 and we see this happening. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. But hear this, look at this. All the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. See, Christ's promise in Acts 1-8 got accomplished, but it was accomplished through persecution. So here's what is true. God's plan will always be achieved because he's sovereign and his plan and his ways are perfect. The question is, will we be obedient to that plan? Will we do what he asks of us willingly or will we have to be provided a catalyst to make that happen? Will we willingly say yes to all he asks us to do? In 1996, it was clear that God called me to be a pastor. But I resisted that call. The price was too high. I reasoned that because I had spent literally all my life in the church from a, very, from a baby, I would always be in church ministry. After all, I was actively involved in, in church ministry and church work. So I really didn't need to be a pastor in order to continue church ministry. But God has a stubborn love, and he will keep pressing for the yes of obedience. So God provided a catalyst for me. Can I confess to you that it was painful, not only for me, but for my family? And ultimately, in 2000, God made me an offer I could not refuse. And in May 2000, I answered the call and began my pastoral work. Can I tell you this? It was just like God to confirm that I made the right decision on that day. He presented me and my wife with a gift the very, the very same Sunday that I started my pastoral work. My firstborn son, Theodore, walked up to the altar, accompanied by his mom, while I was on the platform leading, committing himself to Christ and to be baptized. Friends, that sealed it in my heart. And I knew saying yes to God was the right thing. That moment also demonstrated something important. That the spiritual work of multiplication was happening. My wife and I poured into our son's life, which led to his first yes. And today, he is a life on fire for God, impacting others that I will never reach. His is, a changed life, his is a changed life that is now impacting other lives. That is multiplication. That is God's vision for us. That's God's vision for the church. So right now you may be wondering, God, what do you want from me? 
The answer is simple. He wants your obedience. And obedience means saying yes to God. So what is your next yes? Over the past three weeks of outpour, we have been hearing a clear call on our hearts. And we will not fully experience the Holy Spirit's explosive work in our lives unless we say yes to our individual prompting. It is until each one of us individually and then us collectively as a church move in obedience to his call that empowerment truly begins. So I ask you again, what is God saying to you? Where has he been tugging at your heart over these last three weeks? Where is conviction happening? You know, that, that moment when you hear something and you know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you? Pay attention. Perhaps it is to tell your story to, to, to someone or to get baptized. Say yes to him and begin your Christ journey. Maybe you need to join a group or commit to leading a group. You're probably hearing the call of discipleship right now in some way, and you have been resistant to it for whatever reason. Are you going to say yes? Maybe God is calling you to a life of generosity in whatever form that may take. You may have been resistant to tithing or resistant to serving and sharing your skills, knowledge, and abilities that God has so graciously gifted you. Whatever generosity of string God is tugging in you right now, don't let this moment pass. Because until we get to the place where we are answering God's call and prompting in our lives, the Holy Spirit won't have the fertile ground to be as effective as he can be in this explosive work we see in the book of Acts. I know, I know we can all come up with excuses and some form of justification for not saying yes to God. I've done it. And truth be told, I still struggle in some areas today. We can say we are too young or we are too old. We are too busy. We are too poor. We can say we are not as gifted as that other person or somebody else can do it. Where have we heard that one before? But hear me on this. God never entertains our excuses, but he delights in our obedience. Remember, obedience is you saying yes to God to take the next step. And we all have a next step. Doesn't matter what stage we are in life, as long as God gives us breath, there is a step to take. So what's your yes? In 1988, this upstart brand was trying to penetrate the United States market and they came up with a slogan that has become a well-known catchphrase. What was amazing was who they chose to be the first face of that campaign. I'm talking about the brand Nike and the phrase, just do it. But rather than tell you the story behind the ad campaign, let's, let's check this out. I run 17 miles every morning. People ask me how I keep my teeth from chattering in the wintertime. I leave them in my locker.
The brilliance in that ad campaign in 1988, which, by the way, I know a lot of you right now are, were not alive during that time, and that kind of makes me feel old. But it's still so timely, even though it was a generation ago. The brilliance is that they used an 80-year-old man, his name was Walt Stack, to be the voice and face introducing the Just Do It campaign. They didn't choose some young athletic person. Instead, they chose someone in the twilight of his life. The implied message behind the campaign was this, that we should dispense with all of our excuses that we can come up with about exercising and just do it. So I'm saying to us as a church, if God has tapped you on the shoulder to say yes to him in some way, then just do it. If you have been invited to join up in the gospel conversation training that is happening on October 3, don't say no. Sign up. Just do it. If you have been resistant to the call to be a part of group life, then join a group today, right now. Just do it. If you have been a part of a group and your group leader says to you, hey, I think you would be an awesome group leader. Don't come up with an excuse. Just do it. If you have been asked to volunteer in our church in whatever capacity God has already given you the skills, the knowledge, and abilities to do an awesome job. So throw away the excuses. Throw away the negative thoughts you may have about yourself. Stop comparing yourself to other people and just do it. If you're thinking you don't have the margin in your finances to tithe, and 10% seems really, really high and difficult right now, then start at 1%, but begin. Just do it. If every time a mission trip comes around and you're dodging Pastor John or Kim because you don't want them to ask you to be a part of that mission trip, give them a call today, right now, or send them an email and say, hey, Pastor John, hey, Kim, you know that next mission trip that's coming up? Sign me up. I'm making myself available. In fact, there is a digital mission trip taking place in October through November to Kenya. And there's still room available. Imagine this. A mission trip to a country thousands of miles away done from your home. Visit ChristJourney.org to get more information there. But you get the message. Just do it. Just do it, because this is what God has called us to do. Just do it, because Christ came on this earth, and we have seen his glory. We have experienced that glory in our lives because of his work in us. Just do it, friends, because he has commanded us to go and make disciples, not to sit on the sideline and observe, but to get in the arena of ministry, to roll up our sleeves, to get our hands dirty and busy with this awesome work of building his church. Just do it, because he has provided us the greatest companion, the greatest source of strength. He is the Holy Spirit who lives in each and every one of us. And his power is there waiting to be unleashed. But we will only see that power explode within us and within our church if individually and collectively we all say yes in obedience to him. Christ Journey Church, join me on this journey and let's do it. Pray with me.
Father God, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, rain down even now among us. Fill us with your power as promised and with your strength. May we throw away our excuses for not doing your work in obedience, O God. And may we be a church that's on fire for you, filled with your power and filled with your might, so that this community in Coral Gables, in Kendall, and throughout the world may know and hear the message of Jesus Christ and his saving love because we are faithful. Thank you for how you have challenged our hearts and thank you for how you'll move within us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let everybody say, Amen.